the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. When does your divorce start? I mean, that's a way other topic, but <laughs> 10 but years. And it, <laughs> and it feeds in also, I think, okay, so is it a failed marriage? I mean, you came from a very religious community. I came from a very active uh, community that, that was religious, right? Just two different types, but yours much more just like inundated with it and everything about it. I mean, it's a very kind of cloistered off community, yeah? Yes. Yeah, and so um, when you're primed your whole life for something and then you don't succeed in accomplishing it, <laughs> is it a failure? That's the question we're asking today. Is divorce a failure or is it not? And if it's not, what is it? What do you think? Is your divorce a marriage? Or is, your is your marriage a divorce? Is your... Really? <laughs> Is your divorce a failure? I do think divorce is a failure. Oh, wow. But, yes, I do. But I also have a different perspective on what failure is. I, have, I think I have a different view than what, how most people view the word failure. I don't think failure is a bad thing. I think failure is an acknowledgement of something that didn't work. So it didn't work. It failed. You, you committed to somebody. You started a marriage. You worked hard. And then at some point you said, this is not working, or the other person said, this is not working, and I'm done. There's failure in that. And I think people want to, I'm curious to hear what you have to say, but they want to reframe it as it's not a failure, or it's a stepping stone, or I, I don't know what the other side is. I think it's a failure, but it's not a failure that has to come to a halting screech in your life. It's a failure that says, something wasn't working, something was off. What do I need to address? What do I need to look at? so that I can get it on with the next part of my life. I think failure, I think we don't embrace failure enough in our society. So I think there's a lot of beauty in failure. I'm gonna offer something a little bit more, uh, well, just as nuanced as you, not even more nuanced, but just as nuanced as you. Uh, and I agree with you that I don't think there's a, a moral quality to failure, especially not when I think it comes to just the relationship, right? The relationship is the relationship. I, I, think, I think there are certain failures on individuals uh, to bring what they're certain to bring to the relationship. I mean, there is a, there's a commitment set up, right? Whether there is a purely social one, right? Or there is a romantic one. And then even given our communities and our lifestyles, a religious and spiritual one, which is identified in any number of different ways and executed in any number of different ways. You're right. There's no moral quality necessarily, or there's no reason for us to assign like a, a worth to the idea of failure. It's just a failure. Okay. But at the same time, I think that we would agree that our traditions or that our tradition emphasizes the idea of longevity and that there is a real value to a relationship staying the test of time, that there is something important about people committing themselves to one another um, that has much more value than them splitting apart. And I think when you think of it 
in a scenario like that, it may not be that there is a moral failing of any kind, but that there is a qualitative failing. And that I think carries much more significance to people because I think it also, and maybe this is just me, it's going to be a lot of stuff that probably just comes out that's just me, uh, but that that ends up impacting the other way you think about relationships. And maybe that's okay. Some relationships don't need to survive, but other relationships should. And I do think that even if it does lead to something, yeah, I mean, this is a new chapter in my life. Right. There are silver linings that come with it that I may not have seen before. So I am excited about the opening of what might have been appeared to be closed before. So that is not a failure. Right. That is I don't know if that's a success either, but that's an opening as opposed to where there was a closed thing before. And. I think regardless of whether you think of it as moral failing or even a new opportunity, there can still be a sadness involved, a disappointment even uh, that the relationship didn't work out, that the commitment there failed, that there wasn't an upholding of agreements or certain values or even a vision that you have because you don't go into marriage thinking, and I'm droning on, I'm going to cut myself off, but you don't go in thinking, yeah, we're going to get divorced or we'll check in 10 years later to see what we're like. And if it's not working, right, we'll reevaluate. Maybe people should, but you don't. You go in thinking, this is for the long haul. That's why I'm investing all this time and money and effort and spirituality in this person, in this relationship. And then you go and you have kids and you start your life. And then it's something like divorce just kind of happens, right? Mm -hmm. So. I don't agree. Just making that clear. So what do you got? What do you mean divorce just kind of happens? If divorce just kind of happens, then there's real inherent failure there. Okay. So tell me more about that. How is there real inherent failure there? What's the failure? What do you What do you mean by divorce just kind of happens? Divorce fell on your lap? No, I don't think it just fell in my lap. I don't think it just fell in my lap, but I do think that um, it becomes something that wasn't as real as it was before. I think if you have the mentality that you have a relationship that is at the very least a relationship. I don't, I, you know, we started talking about active and passive, right? Actively married, right? If you think that, you know, your relationship is somewhere between those, right? I, I, I don't know if anyone's life is either at one end of the pole or the other. They're always somewhere in between, right? There's moments of activity and moments of passivity. That's just the way it kind of goes and how you're a human being and how you relate to people, I think. But nonetheless, right? Yeah, I think somewhere within that, divorce is a new thing that changes the paradigm altogether because that wasn't something you were thinking about before. I don't agree. Right. I think one day woke up and things were hard and miserable and difficult and then divorce entered the picture. There's always an out button and it's the out button that exists that allows you to get where you're going. If divorce wasn't an option, it, divorce just can't fall on your lap because it, it exists as an option from day one that I'm committing. I also know that there's a trap door here that I could escape through should I need it. And that means it exists always, even if it's incredibly subtle 
or not so apparent. And maybe as time goes on, it, you know, the, uh, the dust clears, you move away the cobwebs and you're like, look at that trap door. That looks really appealing. But I think it's there the whole time. And I think that it's interesting you brought back the active and the passive and in relationship to divorce because a divorce just falling on your lap sounds like a passive divorce. Like, ah, it's not really working. Let's just call it quits. Whereas I found my experience to be an active divorce. Like we were actively engaged in trying to figure out, is this the best move for us? Is what will this look like for us? How can we stop this? Or how can we do it in the best way possible? Or once things derailed, how can we get back on track? It was such an active process for years, for years. And, and it starts and it coincides. Like we were still married when we were divorcing. You know, when we started to have those discussions about whether or not to divorce, that's an in-between stage. And we were still actively married, very much so. But, and something, so wait, I'm not clear. So do you think divorce is a failure or not? I think it depends, right? It depends. I think, I think it can certainly be a failure on the part of an individual. And that may not be on one individual entirely. It could be a, a failure on part of both individuals to bring what's necessary to the marriage to maybe make it an active marriage, as you're suggesting, or a healthy marriage or whatever that is. I mean, I think, I, I think you bring up an interesting point. I think there's multiple layers of people who are responsible and where the failure lies. I think there's failure on an individual level. What did you or did you not do that contributed to this? There's failure on the relationship level as if the relationship is a separate entity. So how did the relationship not work? And I think there's certain societal failures that, that go into divorce, especially in, um, in today's world where couples are, kids are encouraged to get married really young. Are we giving our children the tools that they need to have successful relationships? So where are we failing in society, in our education system, so that when a divorce happens, whose failure is it? If, 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 if I, got, I got married when I was 22, so as kind of an adult-ish, I mean, I felt really young, but there are people, kids getting married at 18, 19. If that marriage doesn't last, whose failure is that? Is that their parents' failure or is that their failure? To not, to, you know, you don't know who you are at 18. So when you wake up and you're 36, you're like, I don't want to be in this life. I'm done with this. Is that a failure? Is that the parent's failure? Is that society's failure? There is failure. Just not sure whose it is. Well, and then I think there's also, and you bring that up, you talk about societal failure, and I, I would also think cultural failure. I mean, I think it is fair to say that in your community in particular, the one that you came from, yes, there is a heavy emphasis on getting married young. Uh, and certainly in the community that I came from, there's there's a very big emphasis on simply getting married. I didn't necessarily, I don't think, get the message of needing to marry young. I certainly got the message of needing to have a lot of kids, right? And there this being this idea of like, you know, you have, <laughs> you have like three kids and then you have what's called the Holocaust baby, right? Someone to help replenish the lost generations. And I wonder if there's also like, this idea, like I said, of cultural failing in the sense that like our communities very do much stress the idea for as much as divorce is an option within the Jewish tradition and has been since the biblical period, right? There's still this idea that marriage is ideal, right? And marriage is the paradigm that everyone should be striving for. There's a, there's a great movie 
with George Clooney, uh, he, I forget what it's called, the terminal or something, that may be the wrong name of it, but he flies around all the time and he's needed to bring it, he, he, they bring him in to do this like, uh, this pep talk to uh, a, a guy who's got cold feet before his marriage. And he says to the guy, like marriage is something that, you know, people aspire to. And I thought they really do? Like people sit there and they go like, I wanna be married, I hope to be married. Uh, like that they really like yearn for that. And maybe that is true, but I don't know if it's like this across the board thing. And, and that might be an example of people saying like, yeah, marriage is just the natural step. It's what you do in life. And that is a failing as well, because I don't think that's the case and needs to be the case for everyone. And I think that's a message that we probably got a lot from our communities and something that I certainly got from my parents. And I love my parents uh, and, and wouldn't trade them in for anything, but I certainly, you know, there were times where, you know, I think you grow up and you wonder like, well, what was the quality of relationship for my parents' marriage and how did that impact me and what type of perspective that I have? So, you know, the, the joke that I grew up with was there's this couple and they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary <clears throat> and the husband's giving a toast, which he's, you know, laying out all the wonderful qualities of his, of his wife. And someone interrupts him and says, 50 years? How could you possibly be married for 50 years? Didn't you want to get divorced during that time? And the husband says, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. And there's a certain amount of pride behind that, right? Which is to say that, like, life gets shitty and tough, right? And marriage is a reflection of how you're dealing with life, too, in some ways. It, it, there's, there's no buffer in marriage, at least if you're being as honest as you should be, right? That you're kind of who you are. And maybe that's a problem sometimes. There's a pride in the idea of being able to stick it out, right? That like the only thing that would really draw you apart is the idea of wanting to kill the other person. And that's not healthy either though. That's the double-edged sword about it. If you're in a position where you're like, the only way I can possibly get out of this is to kill the other person, then that's not a healthy disposition to be in. And I think you're right that there's a trap door there. But my point in the sense of marriage just happening is the sense that you build a house, right, as a family, metaphorical house with everything that you need. And yeah, maybe that back door is there, but you don't think about that. That's not what's on your mind constantly. It's there because it's just there. That's the way society, that's the way we've built life. But I don't think we spend you a lot know. of time about it. I disagree with people who are in an unhappy marriages for a long time. I think, think about that door a lot. I think you started today, I, I had the suspicion that you didn't look at divorce as a failure. So I'm curious to know more about that, what your perspective is, how it's not considered a failure. Well, it's not a failure because I do think it leads to people. And I think that's part of it, going back to the joke. It's not a failure because I think if you're thinking in the ways of the only way you can get out of a relationship with someone is by killing them, you know, even if it's a joke. Oh, so it's success because you didn't kill them. That's <laughs> so my point. That's, 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 nobody was murdered. No, but that, that's my point. It's the irony about it, right? Is that like, it's not success just because you didn't kill them, right? What kind of life is that? You'd want to be in a celebratory marriage, one in which you didn't feel like killing the other person. Well, that just means that there's, there's duality implicit in every scenario. So yes, you were successful in not murdering someone, fantastic, but you also failed in your marriage. 
It doesn't, I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. This is interesting. Why is it tough for you to see divorce as a failure? I think, I think my disagreement with you about it is, is <clears throat> that it should be looked at so positively. Divorce or failure? The failure of marriage, right? You're coming at it from this perspective, like, great, fine, it failed. Now you can do any number of other things, right? You can learn and you can grow from it. And that failure leads to another open opportunity. Well, then wonderful, great. <clears throat> I think I address it from the quality of look at the way that it's impacted other people's lives, right? And that may be in the short term, just right now, right? In the long term, you could say, well, I end up living a healthier life. The kids saw this type of thing. And then I also think about the short-term impact, just going you know, back in time in that way, to how people are impacted by it right now, the types of hopes and dreams that people invest into those relationships, the vision and the emotions that they ended up putting into that. And then also the reality that certain people construct, and by that I mean not only the person in the marriage, but also the children in the marriage as well, how they end up responding to it. And for them, I think there is a failure. Yeah, I think there is a failure. And I don't think it's necessarily a good failure, at least not right now. And it may not necessarily be a good failure for them 20 years from now either. That's not. I don't think there's such a thing as a good or a bad failure. I think failure is. I think what's good or bad is how you react to the failure. The reality is you're divorced. It's failed. Your marriage no longer exists. You did not succeed in being married. That's the reality. It's neither good or bad. So don't attach judgment to it. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to, how are you going to relate to your kids? How are you going to talk to them about it? How are you going to help them process their experience? I apologize. Judge, there's nothing wrong with judging about it. But judging about it is exactly what you should do unless you want to try to determine some way for it to be better in the future. What are you going to constantly sit back in, the, in your own way of looking at it and think like, yeah, I did absolutely everything I could, but it was entirely upon them. You and I both know that unless it's in certain scenarios, both people are bringing something to the relationship. Right. So wait, 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 how does that contradict what I'm saying? I'm not saying to not take responsibility. I'm no, all about taking responsibility. You're absolutely right. Accountability and responsibility are huge within that. I'm not suggesting that you're denying that. What I am suggesting that it's okay to assign some type of judgment to it in order to learn from it and move forward. I think you do. Well, no. So I think you should assign feelings to it. I am feeling sad. I am feeling frustrated. I am feeling disappointment. But the failure is not inherently good or bad. Because let's say you move on and you have this fantastic life and you get remarried and you, and you repair the relationship with your children and your ex moves on. So then the failure is bad. The failure is good. But it's your reaction to it. I'm, I'm for sure you need to process the feelings around the experience and acknowledge those. And there might be some, I don't like to call them good or bad feelings either, but there might be some harder feelings to process which should get acknowledged. But the experience of failure is not good or bad. I think what you're doing, putting it in the, in the context of, failure, uh, of feelings as opposed to judgments or opinion is a nice way to locate it kind of directly in your soul, which is fine. But at the same time, I think you have to worry as to whether or not, I don't like that feeling of sadness. I don't like that feeling of anger. Those shouldn't be there. That is a judgment as to it's whether... <laughs> Disagree all you want, what I'm telling you. How, how can you say that a feeling shouldn't be there? 
I'm I'm feeling is there to inform no. you to tell you something. No, 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 no. Hear me, please. Yes. Please. Yes. I'm not saying that a feeling shouldn't be there. A feeling should absolutely be there. And there's nothing you can do about it. You have to learn how to manage those feelings because Lord knows you can't control them. Anyone who says you should control your feelings is out of touch with feelings. The best you could do is manage them when they come up, right? Ride them out. But my point is to say, I don't like that feeling or I don't enjoy that feeling. I don't enjoy it being around so much. And speaking of someone who does feel things deeply, I mean, I think we've all got like these feeling meters and mine is turned up really high. I don't know why, it's just the kind of way I'm set. But there are certain times where like those feelings come out and you're like, I shouldn't necessarily be experiencing those feelings all the time. And if I am, why am I? And what is going on in this scenario? And is that a reflection of the quality of the relationship that I'm in? And if it is, what can I do differently about it so that when those feelings come up, it's not so bad for me or that those feelings aren't so inspired or triggered by the scenario? I mean, you're not putting yourself in relationships with people that are constantly anchoring you. And I'm not talking about just being challenged by people and what they say. I mean, like people who really just irritate you and annoy you based on being in your presence. You're not doing that. And you've made a judgment at some point in your life that that's not a circumstance that you want to be in. I, I don't agree. I think it's a choice. You make a choice. You make, it's an acknowledgement and a choice but it's not a judgment of whether it's good or bad. It's, do I want this or do I not I want, do I not want this? And then what choice am I gonna make? To yeah, I don't want this because reality? it's bad for me. No, it's not bad for you. If, if, if it was bad for you, it's, it, it's, it's intrinsically not bad for you because it's given you information. It's actually good for you. I'm frustrated. So what is this frustrated feeling telling me? And if I didn't have these feelings, I wouldn't have this information and I wouldn't be able to act or change. That's actually good. And so you're gonna pursue those opportunities again. What opportunities? Those opportunities that you just spoke of that led you to that insight. I'm just, I'm just saying, I mean, I think we're talking about a couple of different things at the same time, but I'm just saying that the judgment about whether failure is good or bad, I don't agree with that statement because we have a very limited perspective of time and reality. And so if you judge something as good or bad, you're not taking into account what it looks like zoomed out, what it looks like in the big picture. It just is. You yeah. disagree? And when you zoom out from that big picture, you can check to see which are the good apples and which are the bad apples. And the good apples are the ones that you're going to end up gravitating to much more often than the bad apples. I, I, I really try and stay away from good and bad. Good and bad is a judgment. And who are you to decide what's good or bad? You can say I want or I don't of want. my own life and potentially that of my children until they're the age of 18 and out of my care and authority, I'm entirely the arbiter of that. Have you never had a circumstance in your life that was painful or challenging and then five years down the road, it was possibly a really good thing that happened to you. It was just hard to go through, but it turned out to be a good experience. So in the moment you judged it as bad and then it turned out to be something good. So I think, yes, it is a failure, and I don't think it's good or bad. I don't think you should stay away from failure, even if it is bad. Let me point that out. I, I said, of course you should embrace failure. I think failure is an integral part of human development. I think it is okay to embrace failure as well. I think, though, there is a certain uh, usefulness to judging 
the quality of that failure. Absolutely, there is good failure and there is bad failure. There could be good failure, sure. And that's a longitudinal way of looking at it as well. Bad failure is when you don't absolutely, or when you don't take anything from the scenario. That's right? the reaction, that's not the failure. And then also, if you don't take the reaction that you were hoped for, is that good or bad? No, that's more information. Why didn't I do what I think I should be doing? What's holding me back? What resistance do I have? What, what do I need to work on? You know, you might have even deeper insight and awareness and greater growth and development from the failure of the failure. So was it good or bad? Again, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with assigning a judgment to it. I, I think, think when I think, we assign judgment, we invite shame and guilt in. And when we invite shame and guilt, that hinders our ability to accept responsibility fully, to make choices, and to move forward. But I don't think there's nothing, anything wrong with feeling shame, though, or feeling guilt. I mean, shame is, a, as, far as, as far as I know, isn't shame one of the most natural feelings there is? Along with shame is, shame is pretty much the most basic inherent feelings that holds us back from truly developing and connecting. It may hold, it us, hold back, us back, but it is natural. Anger is natural. Sadness is natural. Right. You and, want they're to useful, and they're all useful for a certain reason. And, and not assigning judgment to any one of them, suggesting that because they're natural, they have a certain utility to us. Then what is the problem with inviting them? I mean, if there's no problem it's with- It's really a destructive feeling. We, we try and stay away from shame. Shame is very, very destructive. Yeah, but anger can also be destructive. We invite that in for motivation as well. Well, it has duality. Everything has duality. Does shame have duality? I don't know. See, I would suggest that it does. Shame to me seems like it has usefulness in the way of saying that isn't something that I'm going to do again, right? So I'll tell you the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is I am bad and yes. guilt is I did something bad. So I have That's a really hard time. Thought. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt. I thought there was a difference. Ashamed is I am bad as in the, ones, in the sense of saying, someone is saying it to you, right? You are bad, so therefore I am a bad. I am ashamed. But shame itself is just, I feel bad. No, shame is I am bad. I am bad. There's something wrong with me. That's, that's um, um, what's it called? Logist, um, I can't think of the word right now. But um, shame, when you feel shame, it's something is inherently wrong with me. And that is a very strong barrier to change. When you feel like you're broken and something's wrong with you, it's hard to get back, rally up the troops and get back on. Sure. And so I, I just think when we assign judgment, good or bad, especially when it's about our own um, development or failure, we don't want to be in a place of shame. We don't want to be fighting shame. We want to be in a place of empowerment and knowledge and acknowledge feelings. I do feel shame. I do feel guilt. I do feel angry. I do feel sad. What am I learning from this? What do I want differently? Yeah, and can't the message from shame be that like this isn't a pleasant scenario and we don't want to be there anymore? Well, I think there's a difference. I think it's nuanced, but I think there's a difference saying this isn't a, this isn't a pleasant experience versus this is bad. This is bad for me. I like to call the feelings letting in feelings and letting go feelings because okay. I don't like to say good or bad. 
So which so, of those interpretations would it be for you? Is it a bad? So letting go, like we. So shame, anger, sadness. Those are all letting go feelings. We acknowledge, we interpret what information, and then you let it go. When we don't let go of those feelings, we turn them into experiences, and we just want them for information. Now you want the letting in feelings. You want happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. We want all of those. We want to hold on to them, but. I don't think we want to invite in shame to be a constant partner in our lives. We 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 are primed from childhood to feel shame. We want to let go of that. Lest you think that <laughs> I have some type of shameful mechanism, right, running through my spirit, I do not. I'm not suggesting that like we live with shame on a regular basis, but look, I think you know as well as anyone given your profession that um feelings are associated with memories and experiences, right? And so when we get triggered by those memories or experiences, those feelings come up again. Th that's a useful thing, right? That's, a, that's an emotional memory or a spiritual memory to say like, we've been here before, you're prepared for this. And that could be good, right? You know what to do, you can handle yourself. Or it could be, this is a place that you've been before. And you hear that that gnawing feeling of shame coming up within, that's because you didn't like it and you didn't like what it said about you. And if you want to be there again, then stick it out, go right ahead. But if you do, then I'm going to be there with you that entire time. And if you don't want me around, and I, and I think that's sometimes what our feelings tell us is that like, you're not liking this scenario, then I think th there is a judgment there and that's okay because I'm judging that scenario not to be good for me. It's to be a failure for me. And I don't want that. So if you change it and you grow, then it wasn't bad. Then it was good. And you only say that so many years out. That is a 20 perspective. So what? It doesn't matter. So then, you're, then truth, truth is not dependent on time. So if, if, a, if something is absolutely something, it has to exist it for all like that. And even though you can look at that failure positivity 20 years, 30, however many, even less, 10 years out, five years out, whatever it is, that doesn't also dismiss the fact that what happened before could have been a, a, a painful failure and a bad I, failure. I, I say it can be painful. Of course it can be painful. I'm just saying it's neither good or bad. Don't, you don't know if well, it's good or bad. Of course, it can be f incredibly painful. But just because it's good in the future after you've been able to like see all these things in 2020 perspective, why does that mean it can't also be bad in the past or in the present when it initially occurred? I just don't think it's either. I think it just is. It just exists. It's an experience in life. And it's what happens after that's really important. What happens after is always really important. It's always really important. But you also have to be able to determine what is going on in the now. That's not countering what I'm saying. No, it's not. But I think it does add to the fact that you can, in the present moment, when you need to make decisions about things, assign a judgment or a label to them in order to be able to move forward, in order to be able to say, 20 years from now, I want to be happier about this. Well, because I, I judge at this moment, it's not good. Because I think if you really want to get the information that you need and make the choices that you want, when you assign a judgment and the judgment is bad, you invite in shame. And when we have shame, it's an all-encompassing feeling and it triggers so many parts of ourselves. It makes it hard to step forward into growth. It just does. It's a, it's a, it's a handcuff. Shame is a handcuff. So why invite it in? Uh, and, and I'm here with you saying that 
all these feelings are wonderful and that they're great and they should certainly come up whenever they're necessary and feel like our spirits need to use them in some way. And to suggest though that their feelings are telling you something in that immediate moment uh, that are much more helpful and are not handcuffs actually, that are guides, um, really strong and protective guides for you. Um, almost from the survivalist sense. I mean, as far as I know, anger was a feeling that we developed for survivalist reasons, right? I, I'm, I agree with you, but shame is different. That's your perspective. Shame can be different. What if shame could also be a real uh, tool for survival in the sense of I'm not putting myself in that scenario again? And that's a decision you make right then and there. That's a boundary you set. That's You're agreeing with me. I think all feelings are information, including shame. I'm just saying yes. don't invite shame in. It's one that's hard to get rid of. And I say invite shame in because it can be your partner and helpmate in that way. But maybe don't let it overpower you. How about that? Use it as a guide. Don't use it as a friend. Oh, I'm sure that's super easy to say. Let me just take a little bit of crack and maybe I won't take all of it or I won't become an addict. Like, that's what it is. We live off of shame. We feed off of it. We're sh we're, we are primed for shame. So you don't want a little bit. I don't think you want, if you exist, if you're feeling it, acknowledge it and understand why you're feeling shamed. But I, that's my whole thing is avoid judgment because judgment invites shame and you want to stay away from that. And I think it is okay to use some judgment in that regard in order to determine what your next steps are because those next steps are really important, as you say, because the future is really important. And if you want to ensure that the future is much brighter than the present, or at least that you've taken something from it uh, and learn from it in the way that you suggest, yeah, that judgment needs to be there. That sense. I'm agreeing with you from everything that you said, except I'm telling you from I experience I, I, that... When you do that process with shame, it's a whole different experience. Okay. And I'll use my own experiences to suggest that I think shame can actually be a friend in that way. Or I, again, I go back. I use well, let's ask people who are listening. Let's do that. How yeah, does shame serious. work for you? Yeah. Is it a handcuff or is it a helper? Sure. And is that a way that you felt about your marriage? Has that been part of the quality in which you've assessed your, uh, the failure of your marriage? Okay. All righty then. <laughs> well, this has been wonderful, Sheva, going back and forth with you. 